Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. Let's pray. Let's get into the Word. Father, we just want to thank you. Thank you because I'm anointed to teach. Thank you because your people are anointed to receive. And together, faith is built up in the person of Jesus. And I pray this morning that lights, revelation, insight, and understanding will come through your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Alright, so we're going to look at um, attitude to the word. Attitude to the word. And we started talking about this on Wednesday. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14 to 15. I'm going to be using the New King James Version side by side with the Amplified because I want to highlight some things. So essentially, we're looking at the Berean believer. And um, I, I released a book last month or thereabouts called The Berean Believer. You can buy it. It will also help you understand what I'm teaching. First, first Timothy chapter 3. And let's look at verse 14. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. These things are right to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. And what was Paul writing to Timothy? Uh, Timothy was like a spiritual son who was uh, a pastor. And one of the key things, and I'm going to spend some time to teach on this later on, but one of the key things that Paul was trying to pass across to Timothy here was the qualifications for eldership. Right? The word elder in the Greek is presbyterio. P-R-O-E-S-B-U-T-E-R-E-O-U, which speaks of oversight, that the people who lead or who guide the local church. Now, Paul was writing to Timothy on the qualifications on who can become a pastor, who can become a leader. Unfortunately, in the 21st century, most times we find out that uh, becoming a leader in the church uh, Sometimes or most times is when you have money. If you are rich a bit and you can pay off some of the building bills, then you easily become a deacon. Which is actually a wrong, it's not, it's not according to scriptures. Because deacons were actually serving tables in the Bible. What that means actually is that if we are to go by our current church structure, the ushers ought to be called the deacons. Okay. Are we ready to learn this money? Because the deacons were serving tables. They were serving tables. Now, serving tables did not mean that they were serving communion. Serving tables means they were serving food and helping to get the church in order, which is something that you find like our ushers doing. So the deacons were not designed to sit behind the pastor. 
the deacons were actually supposed to serve. And it was not a promotion. You know, it's not like I've been in this church since the church started. It's six years now. And I don't have any title. It's okay, take you. You are a deacon. No, no. It was not an award. It was a call to serve the body. Praise God. And so Paul needed to instruct Timothy because Timothy became a pastor at a very young age. That's why he, uh, Paul told Timothy, let no, let no one despise your youth. The word despise means to look down. Right? And, and it, it, it can happen like that when you have a young pastor or somebody who is young uh, as your pastor. There can be the tendency to despise, to look down on. And so Paul had to instruct Timothy and give him that charge. And being a good spiritual father, Paul needed to spell out the qualifications of who an elder ought to be. Now, if you go before that, one of the things he talks about is being blameless, um, being a husband of one wife being able to rule your children and your house well, which means that one of the qualifications of becoming a leader in church is we ought to look at your family. Because the Bible says if you cannot control your family, how do you want to control the church of God? Why? Because the church of God is family. So your family is the, is the what's it called now? Micro, right? Micro, small, is the micro example of the bigger, the macro family. And so that would, that would make a lot of difference if we want to make people leaders in church and we say, well, let's talk to your wife first. Because, you know, there are some people who are leaders in church and they are well respected in church. But if you really ask their wife, their wife does not think that they should lead. Okay. So it says the, the, the deacons should be husband of one wife. Husband of one wife talks about fidelity, faithfulness to your wife. Not husband of one wife and two side chicks. Husband of one wife. Are, are you finding now? Because we're almost raising a church where adultery is almost looking normal. Okay. Because now we're telling people, you know, you need to hold your home where. You need to do this so that your husband will look outside. We shouldn't be talking about people looking outside. We are believers. Are you following this now? Are you ready this morning? It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Praise God. Ruling their children and their own house well. So how you are able to govern your children shows how you will be able to govern the house of God. Because your children are the one who really know you if you are hypocritical. What's the best way for, me to, for you to know that I'm a good pastor? Talk to, my, talk to my son. Talk to my wife. Because anybody can preach. This is the easiest part of being a pastor. Well, not very easy, but a bit easy. Praise God. So Paul begins to give this instruction. That's not what we're teaching this morning. Let's move on. Verse 13. Let's read verse 13, then we'll come back. It says, For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves. Look at this. Serve well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. Verse 15. But if I'm delayed, I write so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Now, this is the last phrase I like. The pillar and the ground of the truth. 
it didn't say the pillar and ground of truth. It says the pillar and ground of the truth because there's only one truth. Are you following this now? Now, the, the Amplified Version uses this phrase. It calls it the pillar and stay, bracket, the prop and support of the truth. What was Paul trying to teach here? Paul was saying, listen, the church of God is the place where you know truth. Is the pillar and the ground of truth. That is why I'll keep saying this. We cannot solve corruption in the nation if we don't handle ourselves well. If we don't handle our business well, we cannot change the nation. Because we are the holy nation that ought to influence the bigger nation. Praise God. I said praise God. Now, something began to happen to Christianity. If you study the, the, the church history, study church reformation, the, 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 we, we had a Roman Catholic church and with all the teachings concerning Mary and the rest. And then we had Martin Luther, not the civil rights activist, Martin Luther, the German uh, theologian that nailed the 96 Theses on the Roman Catholic door when he discovered the truth of the justification by faith. Now, listen carefully. With the Roman Catholic Church, the priest used to be the ones to own and read the Bible. And so the people did not have access to the Bible. So whatever the priest said became law. So the Roman Catholic Church became a mega institution. And then they became such a mega institution that it merged with Constantine and they became very political. So it was more political and religious. And those are no good two things to mix together. So the Roman Catholic Church became very powerful. And then Martin Luther, the German theologian, began to study the word and stumbled on the justification by faith. Because what used to happen is that the Roman Catholic Church used to sell, sell indulgences. What that means is that if someone died, you could buy, you know, pay for their sins and all that and all that and all that, pay some money and then, you know, the priest will pray for you and all that and all that. And I'm going somewhere because that's where the church is coming back to, where you have to pay for everything. You pay for the firstborn. You pay to be broken free from generational causes. You pay for, to be broken free from deliverance. And that can only happen when people do not have access to the Bible. But what we find out is that we find that people have access to the Bible, but they are too lazy to read, so the priest can say anything to you. Okay? Yeah. So Martin Luther discovered the truth of the justification by faith and came up and said, listen, we are justified by faith in Jesus. And the church persecuted him. So from there you had the Lutheran movement. And from the Lutheran movement, you have the Presbyterian movement, and you have the, and all those, all those, until the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, uh, Azusa Street Revival, William Seymour, Catherine Coleman, and all those healing evangelists, and God began to emphasize the truth of healing, and um, the truth of the gifts of the Spirit, words of knowledge, miracles, signs, and wonder, Alexander Dewey, the Jeffrey brothers, and all that. And 
the emphasis, listen carefully, the emphasis of the church began to shift from doctrine and teaching to the move of the Spirit. So there were less emphasis on teaching, on doctrine, on establishing people in truth. There were more emphasis on miracles, signs, and wonders. Now, when that began to happen, people began to follow after experience and not convictions. That's why when you go to the Orthodox churches, the Anglican, the Lutheran, the Presbyterian churches, there is little emphasis on the move of the Holy Ghost. There's great emphasis on Sunday school, teaching, and doctrine. If you come to the charismatic churches, we want to dance in the spirit, we want to prophesy, we want to see miracles, and there's less emphasis on doctrine. Right. I guess you've read the, the story of the guy, one of the Hillsong writers, who came up and said, well, he is having questions about the faith. And the guy has written so many songs that we are all singing. So which actually means that you can write songs about God when you're not convinced about him. I'll say that again. It means you can be in church right now and still have so many doubts about God. It means you can come every Sunday, every but you are not really sure. You know, sometimes you ask yourself, am I really mad for showing up every Sunday? Are you following this now? So what, what cures that question is what we're looking at this morning, is to build convictions. That is why we, we can hardly go through trials in our Christian faith. And that's why I instructed my choir. I mean, they don't sing it, but if they have to sing the song, what, what song do you people sing and you change trouble for success? If success come my way, if trouble comes my way, right? Okay, then you change it to success. Yeah, yeah. Why are you changing it? Okay. So what, what, what began to happen is that people began to move into the demonstration of the Spirit and then they lacked the depth and the conviction that comes from the Word of God. So what that means is that our convictions are a product of teachings. Praise God. Now, I was talking about the song, When Success Comes My Way, and then people change it when trouble, and then people change it to When Success Comes My Way. And then I'm asking, why do you change it? And then people say, well, we don't want to confess negative. Well, that's not a negative confession. Paul and Jesus Christ clearly said that you will, through many tribulations, enter into the kingdom. Jesus was not confessing negative. Praise God. It was not a negative confession. So what we discovered is that we have spineless believer who can even go through trials. I, I, are you following this now? Because we have measured our faith by the amount of material success that we have. And so unconsciously, I'm going somewhere, follow me now. Unconsciously, when we come to church, we are not coming to learn. We are coming to understand the strategies by which God can bless us. But don't forget that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. That means some Sundays when we come to church, we're not coming to learn how God will bless us. We are coming to learn about God. 
Are, are we together? Praise God. Because if we're not careful, we make the church just a blessing center. So let me give you an example. If I talk to you about praise now, for instance, I say praise, let's praise God. What's going to come to your mind when praises go up, blessings come down? If your praise is full, your tank will be full. Without praises, God will not raise you. Are you seeing, are you seeing misconceptions in your mind? So praise, that ought to be something we understand what does God mean by praise. We have turned it to become a weapon of getting blessed. So what you now realize is you now hear statements like this. Say, if prayer does not work, try praises. Did I hear you say prayer does not work if it does not work? If prayer does not work? If prayer does not work, then we should find out why it's not working. There's nowhere in the Bible you see Jesus saying, if prayer does not work, try this. It's not a trial and error thing. Our God is, is precise. Are, are, you, are you following what I'm saying? So, so, you, you, so we have not used these things as tools. So we say, when you win souls to God, God is going to bless you. If, you. if you win many souls, your mansion in heaven is going to be bigger. I just dropped this. I don't want to talk about that. But God will not reward spirits with physical houses. Think about that. I just leave it there. I don't want to deal with that. But I mean, God is not going to build this for you and say, this is your reward for living. <laughs> you won't do anything with it. Okay. So you understand all of this concept. So we have a transactional Christian view. If you come to church all the time, I've even heard it when I was growing up. If you come to church early, the, the, the angels with the early blessings, they are always there on time. And so we don't want to come to church early because we want to be early. We want to come because we don't want to miss the first angel. And you can see that all our motive about serving God is not that we want to know about him. That is why the greatest people to get committed to God today are people who are wealthy. You know the reason why? Because we've thought that that is the ultimate of God blessing you. So now that they have it, what else? And you see the most committed people are people who are poor. In, in context. I'm not saying that you're not committed. I'm just saying. You realize that they want to break through. They want God to do their own. They want it to be their turn. So that once it's their turn, they'll backslide like the other ones. Yeah. So you see, the whole thing about Christianity is more like, what is in it for me? It is not about learning about God. I can put this up as a bet. Not many people seated here this morning can sit down with a Muslim and engage them on the subject of the faith. Not many people. Some of you are even scared of Jehovah's Witnesses. Once they knock your door, I'm, not, I'm busy. It's not that you are busy. You can't answer them. You don't even know how to refute their claims. And you know what? Because we're so spirit-driven that we have suspended our building on convictions and doctrines and teachings. So in fact, when you are teaching too much, people are looking at their watch like, <laughs> ah. and they said he went to camp meeting. I thought the camp meeting was supposed to be two weeks. 
Because there's no heart to sustain that. So when we go to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8. Are you you still here? Nehemiah chapter 8. And let's look at verse 1. Nehemiah now, not Jeremiah. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1. And and, and I like this. If you, (laughs) interesting, Nehemiah 8 verse 1, 2, 3. Now all the people gathered as one man in the open square that was in the front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the Lord Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Verse 2, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. All who could hear with understanding. Verse 3, then he read from it in the open square. I was in front of the water gate. Look at this. How long did Ezra read the law? I can't hear you, church. How long did Ezra read the Lord? From morning until when? So let's say they started by 7. And they read the book of the Lord till when? To 12. How many hours? 5 hours. Not preaching. Just reading the book. And you know what we say? That's Old Testament. But look at the discipline. Just reading the book of the Lord. 5 hours. People were seated. There was no most, there was no first service, second service, third service, fourth service, fifth service. Just one service. Reading the book of the Lord. Look at the discipline to God's word. Look at this. Before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people. How many of the people? How many people? Where what? Were what? Attentive to the book of the law. So it wasn't just like Ezra read, we are following. No, they were attentive. They were attentive. They paid attention to the book of the law. Five hours reading the book of the law. These are the things that bet conviction. These are the things that bet strength on your inner man. To be convinced of God's word, you will need to spend time in the word. Not just spending time in church, but spending time with the word on your own. Are you following what I'm saying? Let's let's go to verse 8. I'll show you something here. Verse 8. So, they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense, talking about the priest. Let's go to verse 7, please. Go to verse 7, please. And, and also Jeshurab and all those beautiful names. And the Levites helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. I want you to get something here. The role of every preacher is not to make you idolize him or her. The role of every preacher who is genuinely called by God is to make you understand the book that's in front of you. That's the goal. The goal is not to say that I'm your favorite preacher. I don't want to be your favorite preacher. I don't even care if I'm your favorite preacher. 
The goal is that you should understand God's word for yourself. And if you understand God's word for yourself, when I even make mistakes, you won't copy my mistakes. That's the goal. They help the people to understand the law. The goal of a fivefold minister is not to show you how anointed he is. This is not a superstar thing. Are you following what I'm saying? And the more we, we, we do these things, the more we build pseudo idolatrous kind of ministries. Because I'm going to go somewhere now. Because when you now start hearing teachings, instead of going back to the word of God to examine those teachings, you take them for their face value because of who said it. I've sat with people and I told them, I said, but that's not what Papa said. I said, okay, show me what Papa said from the Bible. He said, no, no, Papa had an encounter with God. What are we talking about? Yes, I don't doubt the encounter, but the encounter does not take the place of scriptures. Scriptures is preeminent. The word is preeminent. Praise God. Verse 8. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense. Now I want you to observe the word of the use D. D. The sense. The church is the pillar of the truth. Because another thing that now happened in the charismatic world, and I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes when I say these things, people feel that we don't move in the gifts of the Spirit. Those that are in camp meeting, they saw some things, right? We're in camp and I was teaching, and the Lord gave me a word of knowledge for someone who had an operation that was not properly healed. Called for the guy, the guy came forward, laid hands on him, all the pains gone, went back to the hospital. On Tuesday, they sent me a report, the place is completely healed, 100%. So don't, don't think that when you are this way, you are not this way. No. There is only one sense to the Bible. This is what began to happen in charismatic sector, sectors. And I need you to be careful of that. A pastor will just open the book and say, the Holy Spirit said to me. And then we began to call all kinds of nonsense Rema. I just got Rema. So somebody will open one verse and 30 people will preach 31 different things from that one verse in the name of Rema. They will not pay attention to the context. They will not pay attention to the verse before, the verse after, and they are just getting Rema. I'll give you an example. I can do all things through Christ that strengthened me is not a scripture of ability. It's a scripture of contentment. Paul said, I can be abased and I can abound because my sufficiency is Christ. It's not saying you can fly airplane because Christ is in you. It won't work. Do you understand that? Or somebody just come and say, Rema, I was sleeping. And it, no, you see, eh, let's go. So they read this thing from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense. So I wanted to observe the sense. They did not give a sense. They gave this sense, which means that there is a sense in which God gave the law. Are you understanding this? Okay, we were in camp, and uh, one of the singers, well, one of the singers that came from Sokoto was singing something, and then he he was singing in an Hausa song, and he said, "Wayo, 
Right. Now, when he said wayo, he said wayo means like the way you express your love to, yeah? The way you express your love to someone, right? Like, you, you know, how you guys fall in love and you just utter things. So when I came up and I was talking, so it crossed my mind that wayo in worry parlance, you know, they are laughing already because they know the meaning. It means a fraudster. Now, 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 very, very perfect example. If his name is Pastor Alex, if Pastor Alex were to write a letter to you and he ended it up with Wayo, right? Listen, listen. You pick that letter. Anybody from Worry here, just pick that letter and read. He would like, man, the rema I got from this is Wayo, like Frosta. That is a sense. But it is not the sense. A sense is you reading your mind into scriptures. This sense is reading the mind of God from scriptures. I, I, are you with me? So when we open the Bible, we are not trying to read our minds into the Bible. We are trying to find out exactly what is the mind of God for reading, for giving us this scripture. I, I, are you understanding what I'm saying? Come on now, talk to me now. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So the role of a preacher is that of an interpreter. Don't worry, I'll give you more scriptures. And helped them to understand the reading. Now, pick out one word that constantly comes out, understanding. Understanding. So, I give the sense and I help you to understand. I give the sense, I help you to understand. I give the sense, I help you to understand. Now, what that means here clearly is that the role of the preacher is to facilitate understanding. So I cannot come up here and say, this thing I want to do is a mystery. You cannot understand it. That's why we came to church. We came so you can explain the mystery. That's, that's why. If, if you can't explain the mystery, I, I shouldn't be sitting there. Because you didn't come to church to be impressed by my knowledge of mysteries. You came to church so I can help you understand what the book says. But you know, and, 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 and when I say this, I'm not critical of anybody because I used to do that also. But you know what? stifle this in church is when we began to teach one new message every Sunday morning so this Sunday we're teaching this, this Sunday we're teaching this you know you cannot build systematic theology on changing teams every Sunday one of the guys well he's a reformed theologian but uh, his name is Martin Lord Jones he pastored in London about 18, 1900s there about 1900s yeah there about he preached from the book of Ephesians. He did 367 sermons from the book of Ephesians. That means he taught every Sunday evening for three years on one book. How many of you know that if it is our day and our age, after one month, you won't come back again? That is our pastor. I like him, but the man is not getting something fresh. It's not fresh. <laughs> How many of you know that Christianity is not just a call to freshness? Reputation is our safety. Reputation is how we build convictions. So somehow, your pressure can make me move out of God's plan for my life. Yeah. So it's tough to be a Bible teacher these days. It's really tough. It's really tough. Because everybody wants to hear what's wrong with them. Papa, open my case file. Open my case file. I'm not a DPO. I'm a Bible teacher. 
<laughs> Your case file is who you are in Christ. You are the redeemed of the Lord. You are the blessed of the Lord. You are the healed of the Lord. There's nothing wrong with you. Christ has made you perfect. You are complete in Christ Jesus. That's your case file. Praise God. Okay, let's go back. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, mm, mm. now, you, saw, you see, we quote this scripture and say, the joy of the Lord is our strength. How do we quote it? We quote it to say that when we have joy, then we have strength, which is correct. But you know how that statement came to be? We don't have time now because our time is going. When the people understood the law, they began to cry. They began to weep. Nehemiah said, no, today is not the day of crying because the joy of the Lord is our strength. What does it mean? The revelation from God's word is what gives us strength. So you can find that in verse... 10. Alright? Can we just read it? Let's read it. Verse 9. And Nehemiah who was the governor. Remember that Nehemiah who was the governor was there, but he was not the one reading the book. Because <laughs> when governors shows up, we give them first reading and second reading. With two wives in front of the church. Okay. Nehemiah who was the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat, fat, drink, sweet, and send portions of those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. I want you to pick something from our teaching this morning. Understanding. You have to understand the Bible. You have to understand what is being taught. And you know what? Understanding will take personal effort from you. That is where I'm going. We need to put in personal effort to understanding. You are taught, are taught whatever I've said to you today, write it down. The whole of this week, go through those scriptures. Read it. Read it. The Holy Spirit will begin to bring conviction. Listen, you don't understand something until you can teach it exactly to another person. Are you following what I'm saying? So how do you know you have understood this message? Number one, you can teach it. Number three, number two, you start practicing it. So you understand it to the point where you can explain it. How many of you had classmates like that? I always had in mathematics. For some reason, math always was confusing to me. <laughs> so uh, early days of new general mathematics, I'll go to the back of the book and look for the answer. Then I'll find my way to the answer. You know, I got the answer, but I didn't understand it. So you know the problem? I always excelled that way in class. But when it came to you know, you don't have the answer. That's when you now know that you don't understand it. Is that what happens? In church, we're all getting results and getting results and getting results. Bam! Tribulation hits you. And you're like, ah, I'm not coming to church again. You wicked people. You that don't love people. I'm not serving you people again. I'm not serving your God. In fact, I want to be a Muslim. That other Muslim that was in that other company, their Muslim brother, in fact, I want to go and join a court. You see that you didn't have understanding, but you are getting results. Because there's something about the community of believers that brings increase by association. 
But when you're on your own and you face trial, whatever is in your heart will just begin to come out. You will curse everybody, you blast everybody. Because if you're all churches, they are all thieves, including the God that they are serving. All of everybody is a thief. You, you, that's who you are. There was no conviction about coming to church. There's no conviction. Have you seen people stop coming to church because someone didn't check on them? And then you ask them who they checked on for the five years they were in church. Nobody. No conviction. So they equate the church with a club they join. You know, Ariwa uh, uh, People's Association. When we join and you pay your membership dues, which is your tithe, then you are entitled to two, two plastic cups when your grandmother died. And then people come, you have a canopy for them. You know, so we have all this, you know, when I die, I want people to come. I want my church people to go. You, you know, there's this. So we don't really know. Sometimes we don't even know why we are gathered together. And that's why persecution is tough for us. Are you following what I'm saying? I mean, if some of the things I'm sure that happened in the north, happened in the south, we might probably not see people in church. It's come to church one day and bam, terrorists come, blows everything, bold. So, ah, my pastor did not have power. Why did he not see it? Hey, that church, you don't go to that church. Let's go to the one that can see. I, 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 are you following what I'm saying now? <laughs> are, are you still here? But, but are you understanding this thing now? This thing is... Is building conviction to the point where if everything in our life is stripped away from us, like Job, we would say, I know that my Redeemer lives. Even when your wife wants to become a voluntary widow and say, cause God and die, I'll sign the forms. You still say, don't speak like one of those foolish women. What does the Bible define as a fool? A man that says there is no God. So what was Job telling his wife? Don't speak as someone who does not, who is not aware that God exists. So when Job says, I know my Redeemer liveth, it was not a sticker he bought from church. It was a conviction from the inside of him. Because this guy literally lost everything. And how many of you know they were never recommended for deliverance? Job did not go for deliverance. It was not a generational curse. Rather, it was God showing his man off. And by the time Job was done and Satan was done and everything was done, the Bible says God blessed him more than he had at the beginning. That even his own daughters were more beautiful than the ones he had at the beginning. Because when God is done with you, your past will never measure to what God wants to do with you. Praise God. It was like, it was like Job looking at those guys and saying, well, thank God those ones died. Those ones had marks. You know, I'm just saying, that's not Bible. That's me. It's just like looking at, ah! These ones are beautiful. That's what those ones died. These are the real girls. When you mention girls, you know what I'm saying? But you see, all of those trials was because Job was convinced about God. And even when he had doubts and God confronted his doubts, he quickly repented. And you know how that turnaround came to Job? God asked him to go pray for his friends. His friends that said it was because of his sin. How many of you know in, the, in today's church? Well, I can't. I'll continue on Sunday. But how many of you know in today's church and they, we won't pray that prayer? will kill our friends. So you say it's because of my sin. God knows my heart. If it's not because of my sin, this God that is looking at all of us from, from the top, we kill you. <laughs> That's how we pray. We are trained to murder. We are trained to kill. We are not trained to walk in love. You know, I was telling my, I was telling my wife a funny story the other day. We had a guy in campus in, in one of my friends' campus was telling me Every night, the guy was roasting from 12 to 1. I roast, I roast, I roast, I roast, I roast. So, he was roasting, 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 roasting. So, his rent expired. 
So he wanted to pay again. The landlady said, you know all those old women who don't like trouble? The old woman said, no, go and get another house. Ah, madam, what is it? He said, mom, I said, no, the way you are roasting. <laughs> you will roast me one of these days. I want to be alive to see my grandchildren. So you can't be roasting. You know, the old woman was just, you know. So, <laughs> okay, let's do two more scriptures. Don't pray, I roast prayers, eh? I roast, I roast, I roast. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. <laughs> Jeremiah 3, 15. Oh, man. Sometimes when you hear some people praying in church, you just ask yourself, wait, have they read the New Testament at all? You know, sometimes some people, Paul's prayer don't make meaning. Say, pray that the eyes of your understanding will be light. He say, no, we need serious prayer. Give us prayer points, acidic prayer points. <laughs> of you know that if, if acidic prayer points were prayed for Saul, he would not be Paul. He would not write two thoughts of the New Testament. That is the test of your faith. Jesus did not say pray against your enemies. He says pray for them. Do good to those who persecute you. Hard instructions, but that's why it's the Christian faith. Right? And someone say, oh no, that is because it's in the Bible. I challenge you to go and read Fox books of the Matthias. And read of what people went through. I'm not talking about, you know, we don't, I mean, we're not castigating any faith. But some of you don't even know what people went through in the hands of the Catholic Church. Go and read church history. Go and read church history. You know what Martin Luther went through? For you to be able to know the truths of justification by faith. You know what that guy went through? <laughs> Jeremiah 3, verse 15. When people like uh, Mary Slessor and John Livingstone and John G. Lake were coming from the U.S. to come and preach in Africa, they knew they were coming to die. Do you understand? It, they, because there was no cure for malaria. There were people who left girlfriends to come and preach. City store, the Oxford Seven. They were from wealthy homes. They were in Oxford. The father of modern missionaries, modern missions, who, 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 who started China Inland Missions, who went to China. He sold everything and went to China to preach. For years, no convert. Nobody got born again. Nobody got born again. When they brought him back to the UK, he was about to die. He called for men to go to China. Nobody responded. He said, let them carry his dead body back to China. That he rather dies in China than die in the UK. You know the price men have paid for the gospel? <laughs> they were not looking for anything. They were not even looking for God to bless them because they were literally walking away from the blessing into dark situations. You know the struggle, I say, I say it all the time, the greatest struggle for us in our ministry today is getting missionaries to go to the villages that have opened up for us to preach the gospel. I, mean, I was talking to some of our missionaries, I just said, Pastor, to go there is difficult. He said to even get a wife to marry is a problem. And you know that's the truth. I mean, fine girl, they just carry you. Say, where are you going to? Say, ah, we're going to one village to walk. Ha, ha. Village. <laughs> See, you know what? I like you, but I've suffered all my life. And I told myself that after what I've been through in my father's house, I will not repeat it again. <laughs> you told yourself. Yes, it's, it's okay to, 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 to. Well, my wife didn't marry me at this stage, but 
I mean, imagine if I wanted to get married now if I was not married. You know the confusion. Because you don't know who likes you for because the fact that you're on TV, because the fact that you're climbing stage every day, because there are cars everywhere. You won't know. It's just confusion. And one of the things we need to focus in again in the church is reaching the unreached. We must know that every soul, from the parliament to the village, from the high to the low, that Jesus died for them. And everyone needs the gospel. We must not get too comfortable to forget that there are villages around us that need the truth of God's word. But these things are product of convictions. It is conviction that made Moses to walk away from being the prime minister of Egypt to going into the desert to lead over two million people. It's not a suggestion. You can't put it on Twitter and ask people for advice. I'm going to be the next prime minister, but I'm thinking that God has called me to lead slaves. Say, don't, let's say after church. Say, don't, don't finish that question. Let's see. see me in the office. And your pastor will even advise you. Take it. This is marketplace placement. Once you are prime minister, you can just issue a decree. Everybody can be a believer. You know, some of the things we call strategies are actually working opposite the will of God for our lives. That's why, listen, you are the only one that knows if you are successful. Because you know whether you're living in obedience to what God asks you to do or you're living in disobedience. Nobody can tell if you are successful. Nobody. Forget the, forget the external signs. Nobody can tell if you are successful. Because even things that God did not bless can grow. Yes, sir. Are you following what I'm saying? Yes, you don't need, you don't, well. Jeremiah 3.15. Are you there? Let's do two scriptures. Time has gone. 3.15. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart. Who will feed you with what? Knowledge and what? Knowledge and understanding. Because the church is the ground and pillar of truth. I want you to observe that word understanding in all the things we read. It will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Ephesians 4, and then we close there. Ephesians 4. This is my final closing. A good preacher should have about three closings. Ephesians <laughs> chapter 4, verse 11. Are you there? And he himself gave some. Jeremiah says, I'll give you shepherds after my heart. So I've said it here, times without number. Your zeal cannot make you a pastor. Do you understand that? I mean, sometimes when I travel, we have people here who come to teach automatically that doesn't mean they are pastors. Because one of the dangers we also made in the body of Christ in our bid for church growth, we ordained every serious person as a pastor. So once you just show small sign of seriousness, where is the bottle of oil? Where is the bottle of oil? You see, your church cannot call you. Your pastor cannot call you. The call of God is God's prerogative. Are you following what I'm saying? You can answer pastor in your denomination and God does not have your name on his database. You are on your own. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. You got, it's okay to convert zealous people. You can give you opportunities, but we must be careful. Paul says don't lay hands on any man suddenly. You can't place a man in an office that God is not called him. You're destroying his life. Are you following what I'm saying? And so we have people who are so busy walking, 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 no time 
to study. Even though the first wife in full-time ministry was struggling for time to even study more. And the guy is just on his way to church and his wife is driving. He just go to Google. He comes to church. Can you see today? You will not see them tomorrow. I say you will not see them tomorrow. I say you will not see them tomorrow. I say you will not see I hope you are not saying amen. I hope you are not. I'm making an example. You know I don't preach those kind of messages. I say you will not see them tomorrow. Hey, they are gone. Egyptians are gone. I say turn to five people. They are gone. 45 minutes gone. And they build believers on that for years. At the end of the day, the man does not know what Egypt means. He does not know what Egyptians means. He just starts suspecting everybody in the office. So everybody in the office is an Egyptian. Are you following what I'm saying? But it's not his fault. It is the fault of the man who ordained a man who had no time for God, who was not called by God, and gave him to lead people. That's the problem. And before you know, the man will ask more psychology, Miss Brain Tracy, we still in church. You will be in church, you will be confused. What, what, are we, what are we serving? He might even quote Buddha. This thing I'm saying, Buddha even said, I say, okay, it's true. It's true. So you look at some people, they just came from church. There's quote by Buddha, there's Brain Tracy, there's, uh, <laughs> there's Tiger Woods, and then, and then John and Jesus. So you look at the book, it's confusion. There's psychology everywhere. Are, are you following what I'm saying? Psychology everywhere. So people don't even know the truth. Praise God. So he said, he gave some. Who gave? God. He gave some to be what? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For the equipment of the saints or the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Observe the word again. The faith. And of the knowledge. Of what? Of the Son of God. To a perfect man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So there is only one knowledge. So when he says, I'll give you pastors after my heart. That will feed you with knowledge and understanding. It's not the knowledge of all kinds of things. It is the knowledge of the son. So the primary role of every pastor is to feed you in the knowledge of Jesus. His death, burial, resurrection what he has done in you, for you, and what he can do through you. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We make adjustments in our hearts in the areas we have missed it. And we pray, Father God, as we begin to engage this study on the Berean believers, that you will strengthen our convictions, you will strengthen our hearts. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our lives will be supernaturally turned around to get into the word of God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.